Good morning. Glad to see everyone here today. Uh, thank you for watching online. Uh, those who are watching. And I'm excited. We're going to be starting a new series this morning called The Beauty of His Holiness. Uh, I'm really excited about that. I think this is going to be a shorter series until my other ones. Um, but it's actually going to springboard to a new series I want to begin in a few weeks about the essence of spiritual maturity. And I'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. Before I get going into it, I just want to make a couple of announcements real quick. We do have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock right here. We're doing Andrew's book, A Better Way to Pray. And we're, uh, that'll be tonight here at 6 o'clock. And I think it's two or three weeks, but Ju July 20th, on a, a Saturday, starting July 20th, we'll be starting a new Bible study in Pasadena, and we'll be working out the book Spirit, Soul, and Body uh, there. Uh, anyway, uh, visit, uh, for more information, you can visit our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. That will give you our schedule and all of our contact information, and we can give you directions if you're uh, uh, considering attending either one of those. Anything we do is open to the public. And I just want to make mention again briefly that our LEO's discipleship program uh, that we have during the week, we have that on recess right now until summertime. So uh, after the summer, we'll bring it back. bringing that back uh, September 4th, I think, is a Wednesday. That's the date that we'll be bringing that back. Again, refer to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and our schedule, our calendar is on there. And anything that we change or update, we do it there. Uh, that's just our, our hub of communication uh, for everything we do. So uh, being that the church that we are, you know, you know, spread out a little bit sometimes, it keeps everything in communication. So anyway, uh, Bible study tonight at 6 p.m. And otherwise, we're just glad you're here today and listening. And I'm excited about today's message. So like I said this morning, my, the title of my message this morning, or this, this new series I'm talking about, is The Beauty of His Holiness. And in a bigger scope, I'm going to be teaching, like I said, in a, in a few weeks about the essence of maturity. And my heart behind that, so there's kind of almost a second title you can put on this, uh, one night is to is Building Healthy Churches. And when I say churches, I'm, uh, I don't even know that's the right word I want to use, but just building healthy lives. And I, I'm finding that it's, it's important that, well, let me just say it this way. I believe one of my responsibilities as a pastor, as a teacher, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. My, and the word equip means to build up. And my heart is not just to do church. It's not just to, to go through the motions. And my heart is to grow people in Christ. That's why we even title our church Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Our hearts are big on discipleship. And I believe Jesus goes to go make disciples of all nations. Uh, there's a lot I can talk about that. I'm not so much talking about that this morning and in particular discipleship, but really when I'm talking about growing healthy churches, equipping the things, that is discipleship. And so uh, everything we do is going to be, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, as we feel the direction of the Lord, to disciple people. And that, that can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes uh, of how that looks and how that is uh, facilitated. Uh, that's why we have Bible classes. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have uh, Sunday morning. Um, well, we want to see some of the other gifts come out too as our church grows and whatnot. 
But um, that's a kind of another message for you. It's an important message. But I want to grow healthy lives. Uh, healthy lives are, are that, I mean, when you plant a tree, you plant a flower, you plant a plant, you plant it so it becomes fruitful. Now, when I think of a tree, I'm thinking of an apple tree. You plant it so it grows and it matures and it grows healthy so it matures and it multiplies. Even, even as family, we want to grow healthy children. So that as they will mature in their lives, so that when they reach adulthood, and even even young adulthood, when they're making decisions, and even as teenagers, adolescents, they can grow, and they themselves can make healthy decisions, and walk a healthy life, and grow their own healthy families. And in the society that we live in today, there's so many voices, and there's so many uh, uh, distractions, and there's so many temptations that we want to instill values and principles in people's lives so that they grow healthy. Mom and dad are not going to always be around uh, as they grow up, but we want to grow healthy lives. We don't want anyone to be codependent on a pastor or whatever. Thank God for the gifts that God's given to the church pastors. We thank you for Andrew Womack and others who have discipled and trained in us of what we know, but their purpose in their heart that's why they have Karen's Bible College, so they can equip the saints, so they can get people discipled in who they are in Christ, so that they can grow healthy lives and be established in their identity in Christ, equipped in His Word, so that they can are empowered by that equipping, by that knowledge, to fulfill their destiny, whatever that may be. Whether that be a, a mom or a dad, whether that be a pastor or evangelist, or missionary, or whatever they call it may be. Before we even get into talking about the essence of spiritual maturity, which is a few weeks I'm going to get, get into that, I want to go on a rabbit trail that really kind of underneath that same umbrella, but talking about the beauty of this holiness. But it goes under the same concept of, I want to build healthy lives. And when, you know, growing up, when I heard the word holiness, and I, again, I'm going to make some statements, and I'm no way, shape, or form trying to bash anything or speak negative or anything growing up of any church, my parents, whatever the case may be. I also realize that as a teenager, as a, or even as a young person, a child, I wasn't always listening perfectly. I wasn't. I was processing things. But when I heard the word holiness or the subject of holiness, there was something in me that just kind of cringed. And in the sense that I felt like I didn't measure up to holiness or whatever that was. I always felt guilty and condemned uh, and, com and even confused, if I can even describe it that way. And again, it might not be because of who taught it. It might be because I wasn't always listening. But whenever I heard the word holiness or the term holiness, I never heard, it was never associated with the beauty of his holiness. And so as we talk about holiness, I'm going to emphasize the beauty of God's holiness. We were just talking a moment ago, and like the title of my message, the, the beauty of holiness or the beauty of His holiness. Really, in that sense, it's the beauty of His holiness. Because I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but we don't have any holiness in, us, in and of ourselves. If there's anything holy about us, it's because of the blood of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. He's the one that makes us part anything but that matter, holy, okay? Um, so we're going to be looking at the beauty of God's 
But see, whenever I understood the, or heard or, or the concept of holiness, I always thought because I didn't think I measured up to God's standard of holiness, that God was going to get me. And there was this concept of, of being feeling condemned and feeling guilty. But see, I believe that holy, even though I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I believe holiness is important to our lives. But we need to also understand, and more importantly, I believe, where does holiness originate? How do we become holy? What makes us holy? What makes anything holy for that matter? Real quickly, this is uh, just uh, to, to, to get into some subject matter, but this is, uh, I just want to talk about this concept of the beauty of holiness. Real quickly, if you tell me the Bible, so 1 Chronicles chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, the 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And the scene that we're going to be going to is uh, David. David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And as, he, as David is bringing the Ark back, he's instructing his worship leaders. And he says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. <coughs> Excuse me, we say about that this morning. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and in holy array. We see this also again, if you fast forward, would be to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I just want to read a couple of scriptures here as we kind of jump and we kind of introduce this topic, the beauty of his holiness. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, in this scene we have King Jehoshaphat. There's a, there's a big army, actually three armies coming against them. At a time when Je uh, the king of Israel is at its weak, one of his weak areas militarily. They didn't have, I believe if I understand right, they didn't even have weapons at this time. And so they're, they're very, they got three armies coming against them. Uh, there's a prophet that already spoken to the situation. And Jehoshaphat, being led of the Lord, appoints uh, the worship leaders to go on the front lines of this battle. And, excuse me, I'm just changing the translation here. New King James. And so Jehoshaphat is he's appointed to his worship leaders, his his seniors, his worship band, if you will, to be on the front lines of this battle. And as he does, he appoints them in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 21. He says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And one, uh, one more, uh, we'll look at one more, Psalm 29. Again, this is just introductory to where I want to get into. But Psalm 29, verse 2, and Psalm of David, kind of echoes what we already read in First Chronicles. But David uh, sings, and he says, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name, and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's a beauty to God's holiness. And growing up, I never saw the beauty of His holiness. I only saw holiness as a something I needed to do versus something that God did for me. But uh, but there's a beauty to God's holiness. In other words, let me just say, you know, 
even in, in recent years, as I've understood grace, as I've understood righteousness, um, through teachers like Andrew Womack and others who have also taught us grace, but not through Andrew's ministry or, or even the like, but through the year, recent years, uh, there's been a, uh, an increase on the teaching of grace, and I'm thankful for that. But in the teaching, in, in, in that increase of the teaching of grace, it seems like, in my perspective, of certain circles or certain groups of people I talk to, that holiness has kind of gotten a bad rap. And I want to, my heart as a pastor, as a teacher, is to bring us in, in the context of uh, God's grace, seeing afresh the beauty of God's holiness, because there's a beauty to it. There's a God's holiness is good. God's holiness is precious. God's holiness is beautiful. It's not the misery of God's holiness. It's not the, the, the torment of God's holiness. It's not the bondage of God's holiness. In other words, let me just say this. When there's anything that has a connotation of guilt and condemnation to it, because I'm hoping I'm making sense this morning, but I know there's a tug of war between law and grace. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that Paul compares the ministry of condemnation and death with the ministry of righteousness in his spirit. Whereas the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness in his spirit exceeds much more in glory. In chapter 5, Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. We're not under the law, but we are under, the, we are under his grace. Sin won't have dominion over you because you, we are under his grace, not under the law. At the same point in time, the law is holy. The law is good. But what, dang, what dangerous for some people with the law is they think that by keeping the law they become holy and good. Even though in Hebrews chapter 9, it talks about how even the law was sprinkled by the blood. It's the, law, it's the blood of Jesus that makes anything holy. We're not holy by keeping the law. We're holy by receiving Jesus, our Savior, our propitiation. But now that we are holy, now that we are grafted into Christ, who is holy, out of that tree, out of that seed, out of that, that, out of that nature, out of that source should come holiness. It's not our holiness, it's his holiness. That makes sense? And when it's God, and when it's his holiness, it's beautiful. When it's man trying to produce holiness, which is self-righteousness, it's not beautiful. It's ugly. The Bible calls it filthy rags. And so, so, Holiness is beautiful when it's God. When it comes, He's the source. He's the seed. He's the, the source of that holiness. When it's us trying to perform and trying to manipulate and trying to, to become something, but when our, in our own effort, it's not beautiful. And when we're not acting out of holiness, when we're acting out of unholiness, if I can put it that way, when we're living in sin and are doing things, that's not beautiful either. But there's a beauty of God's holiness. And when it's God's holiness, he is magnified. He is glorified. 
See, when it's self-righteous, we're trying to glorify ourselves. When we're doing his, when we're operating out of his holiness, because we're abiding in the vine and he's the source and his life is flowing in and through us, we act out of his He is no Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And Christ, who is holy, is living his life in and through me, through the conduit of my life, that I can praise it that way. And that's beautiful. It's fruitful. And it's, and we're going to get to it eventually, but it's called the fruit of holiness. It's called the fruit of righteousness. A fruit. I'm getting way ahead of myself in my notes here, but I find a fruit is producing what it already is. The tree is already an apple tree. And that fruit doesn't make it an apple tree. The tree is already an apple tree, but the fruit is producing what it already is from its seed, from its nature. Okay, hopefully I'm making sense so far. This is just an introduction to where I'm going. But also, through the years, I've also heard what I call man's definition of holiness, or even, even cultural holiness. I don't want to get confused with all that because that's not my main point this morning by any means. Growing up, and just some, some examples, you know, not the only examples, but growing up I've heard different teachings about people's holiness being determined by wearing makeup or not wearing makeup, the length of their hair, too long, too short, their dress and whatnot. We want people to dress modestly, not so they be holy. But we want people to dress modestly because maybe, maybe we're struggling with a, in an area of unholiness in our hearts. We want to be pure. We want our mind. We don't want that distraction. We don't want that temptation. And so we want people to dress holiness to help us out in that sense. But some things that people call holiness are man's definitions of holiness and are not the, the true nature of holiness. I don't want to get caught up in all man's holiness and culture. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about the counterfeits. I want to talk about the real deal. When I worked at the banks and when I worked at uh, different stores, they never, when they talk about counterfeits, they didn't show us all the counterfeits. They show us the real deal, so that when you see something that's not the real deal, it stands out. I remember when I worked at In-N-Out Burgers, I caught three counterfeits through the years. And they never, you know, the counterfeiters never came during the slow seasons, even though in and out doesn't have a lot of slow times. <laughs> but they always came during the peak hours, during the rush hour, and when it was hustle bustle. This was uh, 10, 20 years ago, so when uh, now they in and out hasn't changed much, but they have changed the way uh, with computers and technology. They've changed some some things. Back, back in the day, when I remember doing the the hand tickets and different things, and yeah, we ran through a computer, but it was a lot different. We kind of changed through mathematics and not through a computer, you know, and whatnot. And uh, and so, uh, but I, I mean, the, the most funniest uh, counterfeit I got was that I uh, you know George Washington on a twenty dollar bill. They're just something in the middle of a rush hour when it's hustle and bustle, uh, and you're cooking two hundred burgers in an hour, that you just notice George Washington on a twenty dollar bill. It just it just stands out. <laughs> that was the most obvious one. The other ones that were a little more crafty. It was just, it was just something different. It didn't look right. It looked it looked like a twenty from a distance, but it, it didn't feel right. It didn't look right. 
just you know they were they were counterfeits. But I don't want so much study the counterfeits because they can come in all different shapes, sizes, and colors, and textures, and all kinds. Of, there's, a, they, they, there's not there's there's not a cookie cut what counterfeits kind of like, but there's a cookie cut what the real deal looks like. And so what I want to focus on what is what holiness is. But as we focus on what holiness is, we're also going to be tipping over some sacred cows of what holiness is not. That makes sense. Okay. So let's look at a few different things. First of all, holiness is a beautiful thing. I'm going to keep coming back to that because that's, that, that I'm emphasizing holiness, but I'm emphasizing the beauty of His holiness. When you truly see the holiness of God, you will see something that is beautiful, gorgeous. It's beautiful. When it's man-made, when it's a counterfeit, when it's self-righteousness, it's not beautiful. Okay? And it portrays God being something He's not. Or it portrays God as expecting something that he doesn't. Or uh, that we're the source of holiness when he's the source. See, when something is holy, it's sacred. It's set apart. It's consecrated. In Jeremiah 2.3, you don't have to turn there. But in Jeremiah 2.3, uh, God says that Israel is holiness unto the Lord. Israel, the nation, the country, uh, is, is holiness unto the Lord. But what made them holy? Holiness unto the Lord. And actually, there's some other scriptures that talk about the temple is holiness to the Lord. There's other scriptures that talk about how the sacrifices are holiness to the Lord. And I know I'm using a lot of old covenant language right now. But what made it holy? What made them holy? What made Israel special and sacred? See, I believe a lot of the Israelites, a lot of the Jews, Thought uh, they 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 were confused like many Christians are today in the New Covenant. I think a lot of them thought they thought they were special in and of themselves. They were holy within and of themselves. That's why God chose them. But they weren't holy in and of themselves. I believe, they believe God picked them because they were special. They were holy. No, God picked them, and He by His blood and by His covenant made them holy. God picked us while we were still sinners, alienated from the life of God. God picked us, died for the world while they were still in their sins, including you and me, and he picked us and by his blood, by his covenant, out of his love and unconditional love, he made us holy and special. If there's any holiness in our lives, if there's anything special about us, it's because of Jesus in us. There's no, nothing special in and of ourselves outside of God. Okay? God made them holy. God made us holy. And when God makes anything holy, it is beautiful. When we try to do it, it's not. I mean, I, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this last night, I was going over my notes. I'm thinking of the story of Ruth. You know, her background and situation. And how she gets married by Boaz. And how that's an allegory in many ways of what Christ did for us. He, he's our kinsman redeemer. And we are beautiful. Our background might not be so beautiful. Our background might not have a beautiful story. But once we have Jesus, once he becomes our kinsman redeemer, our life is beautiful. Instead of trying to scrounge for a field 
because of Jesus, we now have the Holy Ghost. We are now on the third. I think of also Hosea. Hosea, his whole ministry was an allegory, a message to Israel. How Hosea chose to love his wife, Gomer, even as, as wicked and as evil as she was living in immorality and unfaithful in her, her, her marriage. But God loves us. Not because of anything good in us. He loves us because he loves us. And by his grace and through his mercy, he, by his blood and his covenant with us, has made us holy and special. That makes sense? Okay. Um, let me say this. Only the blood of Jesus can make us holy. Only the blood of Jesus can make anything holy. I already referred to it in Hebrews chapter 9. I'm not going to go into it right now. I might end at a later date. In Hebrews chapter 9, nine uh, and again, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. It's written to the Jews. You know, sometimes we read over books on different days we, we don't pay attention to what we're reading. And who's the audience? He's talking to the Jews. And the writer of Hebrews is talking to the Jews. He's trying to speak, lead them to Jesus. He's trying to lead them to the Messiah, to, 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 to be their, their Savior. And he's talking to Hebrews, and he's, talking, he's using Old Testament language. He's using Old Covenant language, which I believe in many ways is a foreshadow. It's an allegory of the New Testament. And even in the Old Covenant, nothing was, it says in uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 9, verse, uh, I wrote that down, verse 22, that even in the Old Covenant, nothing was purified without the shedding of blood. Nothing could be purified without the shedding of blood. Only the blood can purify and make anything holy. The, whole, the life is in the blood. We are saying about that in the last uh, psalm this, this, this morning, about the blood of Jesus. You know, I've met some people through the years, uh, some recently, and some even a pastor uh, a few years back. And he, and some people said, you know, you can teach on anything, you can have psalms about anything, but don't focus on the blood. People don't understand it. And I get, I understand though, that the, 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 the world, of those who are not saved, it, blood sounds gory. It sounds, it's gross, and it sounds gross, and, 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 and what's so big about the blood? Everything's about the blood. Without the shedding of blood, without the blood of Jesus, we, we have nothing to talk about. That is this cornerstone, that out of its roots is, <coughs> is a very cornerstone, is a very seed of everything we talk about. Because without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which involves the blood of Jesus, we have no hope. We have no salvation. We have no hope. There is no healing. There is nothing without the blood of Jesus. But uh, we, but uh, even, excuse me, in Corinthians, Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is, is encouraging us, the church, to keep the, the, what we call communion, the Lord's table. And he talks about how in remembrance of him, we partake of his blood, his body that was broken for us, and his blood that was shed for us. I'm paraphrasing it. But when he talks about the blood, the cup, it's, it's called the blood of his covenant. And, you know, it, it, uh, I'm not so much going into all the covenant right now, but both covenants in the Old and New Testaments were dedicated by blood. Without blood, there is no covenant. In, 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 excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 9, the writer also says, 
until the testator dies, the covenant is not in effect. If my father has a will, that will would not go into effect until he, <coughs> excuse me, the testator dies. Once he died, if he has a will, do the proper legal system of getting the death certificate and different things, we would be able to uh, put that will into effect. But one of the main qualifier, the main qualifier for that will to be in effect is the testator has to die. There needs to be proof of that. Uh, a few years back, uh, Sherry's grandmother's died. We were given the car. But when, the, when that happened, uh, we had to do the legal channels. Through the, we had to give proof, and there was a time period where the car would be turned over to her name. Jesus, God has made a covenant with his church. God has made a covenant with man. And that covenant is not in effect until Jesus attested to our covenant. <coughs> Excuse me. But so not only did the, 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 the blood of Jesus make us holy, but the blood of Jesus also put the whole covenant, the new covenant, and all the benefits, all the promises all the, the, the benefits of that covenant into full operation because of the death of Jesus. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The proof of that was the resur his resurrection. And we talked about that length and times past. But when we think of the gospel, when we hear the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, everything Jesus accomplished for us, everything Jesus took. See, my favorite verse that I talk about all the time is he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, he, God wanted a relationship with man. And, but the thing that was blocking that relationship was sin. So Jesus became our sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God, so that we could become holy, he could clean this vessel so that we could have a relationship with Jesus. Without righteousness, without holiness, we could not have a relationship with God. But Jesus became sin so that we could have a right relationship with him based in holiness. And when we think about that, when we study that, <coughs> when we understand that, when we become established in that, it's a very beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. That the source of my righteousness, the source of my holiness, is not what I do. It's what Jesus did. But because I am righteous, because I am holy, because of what Jesus did, there can be fruit that comes out of my life. And it's very beautiful. It's very powerful. Uh, I've already said this, but I want to keep reiterating this. If you have any holiness in you, it's because of God. It's because of His presence. It's because of His life. It's because of His blood that's in your life. It is God, it's Christ in us that makes us sacred. It's Christ in us that makes us beautiful. It's Christ in us that sets us apart from the world. The only thing that separates us from the world, well, excuse me, is the blood of Jesus, is the holiness of God that's in our lives. Am I making sense so far? I'm just barely getting into some of this, but... Trying to make, make sure it makes sense. Holiness is God's plan for man. 
See, God created man in his own image and his own likeness. God is holy. God didn't have to become holy. God is holiness. And we worship, as we already read this morning, we worship the beauty of his holiness. See, we, God never created sin. He never created darkness. Man created that. Man established that. God, before Adam sinned, before man fell, man, Adam, Eve, before the fall, were holy. They were created in his image. They didn't need a savior. They, didn't, they were walking with God in perfect relationship. But when man sinned, man went ousted from the garden. Uh, could not have a relationship with God. There's a whole message, but I've talked about this before. But he separated the access to the tree of life with the cherubim, with the flaming sword. Those same cherubim later on, when, when the, the tabernacle was constructed, God had them, instructed them to have a, a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holiness. And on that veil were embroidered cherubim. As a and that separated the holy place to the holy of holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, <coughs> God ripped that veil from top to bottom. He removed the separation between from us to having full access to a full relationship with God. I don't have time to teach it right now, but the holy of holies we represent God, the presence of God, and the holy place represents man. And God separated, to, God removed the separation so man had full access to his presence. Man had full access to the tree of life. The thing that made man holy, the thing that, see, God cannot dwell in an unholy vessel. God cannot, God cannot have a full relationship with man being unholy. But God, through the, the cross, has made us holy. He has reconciled us back into rightful relationship with Him. He has, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And it's through that righteousness, it's through that relationship of holiness, that, that we have a right relationship with God. But, <coughs> excuse me, I'm struggling this morning with uh, tickle in my throat. But, God created man for holiness. God did not create man to, to, be, to live in sin. God did not create man to live in sin. God did not, not only did he not create sin, but that is not how God designed man to live. God did not design man to live in moral and to be addicted to a plant or various different things. That's not how God created. That's not how God designed us. And when that happens, it's not beautiful, it's ugly, it's destructive. And it, 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 God created us for holiness. But we can't, even in that, man does not have the power <coughs> in and of himself to set himself free from the lust of his flesh and from different habits. It takes the, the life of Jesus, it takes the blood of Jesus, it takes the nature of Jesus in me and through us to set us free so that we can walk in holiness. Um, let me 
See, man is too great of a creation to live in sin. Not just separated from God. That's, that's huge in and of itself. But God, man is too valuable of a creation. And all the things that God's created. And there's, there's a song where it says, Who is man that you have made him just a little bit lower than the angels? And when you study that, that word angels that he uses there, he uses the word Elohim, which means God. Who's man that you make him just a little bit lower than God himself? I don't have time to teach all that right now because that's not my scope of my message. But we were created in holiness. But through Adam, because of Adam's sin, man became sin. And Andrew teaches us in, the, in his book, The Grace, The Power, of The Gospel. He talks about how the word sin is a noun in, in, in the book of Romans 45 times. The word sin is used 47 times. Out of 45 of the 47 times, the word is a noun, not a verb. There is a verb form to the word sin. But when Paul's talking about sin in the book of Romans, most of the time he's talking about the nature of sin, not the activity of sin. And because man by nature through Adam became sin, man began to, to produce fruit and lack and began act behaviors based on his nature. If you change the root, you'll change the fruit. If you change the nature, you'll change the behavior. You'll change the desires. My, when I became born again, I don't, my desires change. I still have, I have to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I still need to be reminded who I am. And one of the things that set me free from some addictions I had in my life was I realized I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And if I'm the righteous God of Christ Jesus, and Jesus doesn't struggle with this issue anymore, then I don't need to struggle with this issue anymore. Because my nature, by nature, I'm the righteous of God. And when I began to change and realize who I was, that began to change what I do. And I had to realize I can't change what I do if I if I'm, uh, still believe I am a sinner. I can change the way I do. The, what I do because I believe I am the righteous of God. That I'm, I'm, I'm grafted into Him. When you graft a, uh, just from, I've never done this, so I don't know how to do this uh, perfectly. But if you were to take a branch of an orange tree and properly graft it into the the tree of an apple tree, and you do that properly, eventually that branch is going to produce apples. Why? Because its source is not in and of itself. Its source is the seed, the sap, the life, the bloodstream, if you will, of that apple tree. And it's going to flow through the conduit of that, that branch that's grafted properly into the, the apple tree. And it's going to produce apple and oranges because its nature has changed. We're grafted, and Paul talks about this in Corinthians, we're grafted into Christ. And because we're grafted into Christ, who is holy, our life is going to produce the fruit of holiness. There's going to be holiness that comes out of our life because our, our lives change. But we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. If in our mind we still think that we're a sinner, we, we, in our mind we're still uh, the, uh, the offspring of Adam. No, we became born again of Christ. And when we became born again, uh, we became born again spiritually, our nature changed. No disrespect to my father. But God is now my Father. I have been born again, not of corruptible seed, Peter says, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God. I am born again. 
Jesus told Nicodemus in, Nick, in John chapter 3, verse 3, that unless you became born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He said in verse 5, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 6, he says, marvel not that I tell you, you must be born again. We don't become holy by what we do. We become holy by the fact that we are born again of the seed of Christ, who is holiness. Am I making sense? With this this morning. <clears throat> Sin does not make us a better person. And I know I'm speaking in many ways to the choir, I'm speaking to the, the church. But sin doesn't make us a beautiful or better person. The devil will lie to us, the devil will tempt us that by sinning that we will make us happier or make us more fulfilled. Sin will make you bitter. Sin will destroy your back. Whether you're dealing with something like alcohol or immorality or whatever the case may be is one thing. But even things like gossip and different things, whatever the, whatever the sin, whatever the, the habit, whatever the behavior is, it will destroy your life. The wages of sin is still death. God has reconciled this relationship. And we're going to get into it again, way ahead of my notes, but if we sow to the flesh, of the flesh we will reap corruption, it says in Galatians. But if we sow to the spirit, of the spirit we will reap everlasting life. But I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Sin does not increase the quality of our life. Sin diminishes the quality of our life. So, why am I saying that? Because I'm talking about the beauty of God's holiness. There's no beauty in sin. It's ugly. It's destructive. Paul said, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You don't control the flesh. You don't control your flesh by trying to master the flesh. You control the flesh by walking in the spirit. You control the flesh by walking in who you are. You control the flesh by knowing who you are in Christ. You control the flesh by... by abiding in God and abiding in His Word and abiding who you are in Christ. Even though I'm talking about sin, if we, all we do is talk about sin and not just talk about who we are in Christ, we will never see change. We need to be grafted in. We need to change, renew our mind, who we are in Christ. And we need to know in our mind that God did not create us for sin. God did not create us for debauchery or any other type of lifestyle. God created us for holiness. And by His grace, we live a holy life. By His grace, we are set free from any life of sin. Okay? But we are the happiest. We are the most fulfilled. We are the most productive when we are living a holy life. And we live a holy life not because we're trying to produce it. We're living a holy life because we are planted into Christ. And His life and His nature is flowing through our life, the way we think, the way we behave, the way we're... We live our lives, and His life is flowing in and through us. Holiness is the natural order of things in the kingdom of God. See, holiness is not strange. What's abnormal in the kingdom of God is sin. That's abnormal. Addiction. Whatever it is. You know, I know I'm talking about sin. Maybe most of us here don't struggle with immorality or drugs or alcohol or different things that we might mention. 
But some of us do struggle with impure thoughts in the sense that maybe we're negative about ourselves. Or maybe we're negative about other people, the way we think. Maybe uh, uh, James says, he who does, knows to do good but doesn't do it sins. None of us is, is hitting the mark every single time at every single area of our lives. But how do we live a beautiful life of holiness? Is by having a relationship with Jesus. By knowing who we are. If we try to become holy and live holy by our own strength, it won't work. But if we try to live holy because we know who we are and we're abiding in Him, and His life is flowing in and through us. And in that, He's going to tell us some things to do and not to do. But it's really Him, His, night, his, his nature, His life flowing through us. Our desires will change. As we walk in the Spirit, things will change. But I'm trying to point the picture here. Holiness is not strange. It's not abnormal. What's abnormal? See, sometimes the world thinks we're strange. We're abnormal. No, they're abnormal. They're not. God created us holy. God created us in the perfect relationship with God. Between Adam till now, the world, through the seed of Adam, has become very corrupt and very evil the world. But in Christ, God was restoring things back the way it should be. And so we are born again. We're born our, our, in Adam. Our spirits died. But in Christ, our spirits are reborn and born again. And we become alive in Christ. And when I, you see, I was born again as a very young child in a science school classroom at Christian Chapel in Walnut. I remember, the, I remember the atmosphere, I remember the invitation, I remember responding, and my life was, I was born again. I grew up in a good Christian home. I grew up reading the Bible. I grew up, grew up going to church. I grew up knowing the basics of the gospel and different things. I grew up knowing, uh, basically, who I was in Christ. But it wasn't until about, you know, within the last ten years or so, through Andrew and others, that I understood what righteousness really was, what I understood grace really was. I, I remember when I began to understand righteousness and who I was in Christ. I felt in, in my, my, my 30s, 40s, I felt for the first time I was born again, even though I already was. What, what changed was I became more grounded. I became more established in knowing who I was in Christ. And when I began to understand who I was in Christ, that began to change some things in my life. There were some addictions I had. Even in the early part of my ministry that I, I'm not happy for, about. And I couldn't shake, I couldn't break them. But when I finally realized who I was in Christ, that revelation revolutionized my life. And I became set free. I kept trying to control my life. I kept trying to control my behaviors. But when I began to realize who I was in, in Christ, that knowledge, that revelation, that, uh, that knowing that the source was not me, but him in me, that set me free. And I don't have, I've never had any problems with those again. And even when the temptation may or may not come, the antidote to the problem. It's not me <coughs> trying to 
trying to control my behaviors or my thoughts. The antidote is knowing who I am in Christ, because that's the source. Um, I got off my, my point that I was trying to make it. Holiness is the natural order of things. See, we have a holy God. We have the Holy Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, they call Jesus the Holy Child, Jesus, or the Holy Servant, Jesus. And when we think about who God is, so we can it's going to be hard for us to understand who we are in Christ if we don't have a proper perspective of who God is. Some people see God as a hard taskmaster. Some people see God, if they don't live a holy life, God's going to get them. All those different things, all those uh, fear factors and different things are not going to lead people to Christ. It's His goodness that leads us to repentance. And when I found out how good God was and, and how holy and beautiful His holiness was, as I began to understand the nature of God, that the nature of God is beautiful. It's not dark. It's not... It's not uh, because of how I was... I, how I was taught or perceived holiness, I always thought the presence of God was dark. I didn't want to be in God's presence because I thought he would, I would be toast. That was just my perception, how, how wrong and, and, and misconstrued that was. A lot of that had to do with because I saw God differently. I saw God as a hard taskmaster. I saw God looking for sin in my life. God wasn't on a sin hunt. He was on a righteous hunt. He was trying to get me born again. He was trying to, 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 to give me, to change my, renew my mind of who I was in Christ. And when I got that revelation, it changed my life. And I thank God for Andrew. I thank God for people like Joseph Prince and other people who have also ministered and whatnot. And along those lines, so open my eyes that I have a holy God and that holiness is not out to get me. That holiness is beautiful. And I became born again of that same nature. And it's his nature in me and flowing through me that makes anything in my life holy and beautiful. Okay? Um, okay, let's get some, some scripture. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. a little longer in my introduction than I planned on it. I haven't really taught on this aspect of holiness before, so it's a little different road for me. The first Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to read the first eight verses. And finally then, brethren, Paul says, I urge you and exhort, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in, in sanctification and honor. Not in passion or lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. But that no one should take advantage of, of, of and defraud his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Verse 7. 
For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, and who has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, there's a few different things that Paul's talking about here. But in context, he's talking about morality. He's talking about, presumably, he's dealing with sexual immorality, even in the church. And then there's two verses I really want to key on. Uh, verse set, verse four, uh, 4 says, uh, Paul says, Each one of you should possess his own vessel in sanctification or holiness. And then verse 7 talks about God has called us to holiness. See, Paul was admonishing the church. He's admonishing us to possess our bodies in righteousness or sanctification. Holiness. You know, some of these words we can use interchangeably um, in how we're using them. It's righteousness, sanctification, holiness. Because to be holy is to be set apart. To be sanctified is to be set apart. But Paul is also saying that we are to possess our bodies in holiness. He's dealing with sexuality. Let me just say this off the record. I, I don't talk about this a lot. But God created sex. And, and, when it, and when it's performed in the confines of the covenant of marriage as God has ordained, it's beautiful. But when it's done, when it's performed outside of the covenant of marriage as God has ordained, as God has ordained, it's ugly. It's destructive. And it will ruin our lives. It will ruin many people's lives. It's deadly. Now, I know he's talking about sexual immorality. But we all have in our flesh flaws. Okay. So, I don't want to focus on that. But Paul says in Romans 6.11 that we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I know I'm talking, because I'm talking about the subject of holiness. I'm bringing up the subject of sin. But sin, according to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, sin is death. Jesus became sin. He crucified sin. He buried sin. And he rose again, not as a man of sin, Adam. He rose again as the righteousness of God. It says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, that he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our... So we, because of what Jesus accomplished, we can we are righteous. Jesus, Jesus became sin that we could become. That word become in the Greek, if you study it out, is where we get the word gene. And it means that we're born of the righteousness of God. We are born of his righteousness. We are born, and we'll get into it a little bit later next week probably, in Ephesians chapter 4, we are put on a new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness is not what we do. Holiness is who we put on, and his name is Jesus. But we are to possess our bodies in sanctification. We are to possess our bodies in righteousness. But he also says here, we are not called to unholiness, or uncleanness, were called to holiness. This is Paul speaking. The apostle of grace, as many people know him. See, many people will get on that case because uh, who embrace grace as we do. and say, Dave, what are you talking about holiness for? What are you talking about sin for? Well, God has called us to holiness. 
But the source of that holiness is not my performance. The source of my holiness is his, is his performance to the cross. That's the source. He created me in holiness, and he's called us to holiness. And part of that, how, but how does that work? First of all, we have, to really, we have to reckon ourselves dead to sin. The old man in us, Adam, is crucified. We were crucified with Christ. We were buried with him in baptism. And with Christ, we've been raised together in newness of life, which is holiness and right and true righteousness and true holiness. But at the same point in time, because we reckon ourselves dead to sin, we don't need to try to embrace sin. Paul said, actually in the, in the beginning of the context of Romans chapter 6, Paul says, how, if you die to sin, how should you live it any longer? If sin is dead, if we would die to it, why would we want to live in it any longer? We don't want to embrace sin. We don't need to justify sin. We don't need to celebrate sin. We are crucified to sin. And we are to live holy in our lives. We're to live holy in our marriages, as in the context of what Paul is talking about. And I believe that we need to teach our children and our children's children to possess your bodies in the holiness. No matter how it feels. We're, we don't need to condone sin. It is not who we are. We are called to holiness. And how do we become holy? By being born again. By wrecking ourselves dead to sin and being alive to God. But in that being and that even though Jesus has done the work, we are called through the life of Jesus to live holy. We're called to holiness. Speaking of these lines, you know, we all have flaws. See, see one of the things when I was growing up, too, when people, I've heard people talking about holiness in the church. And I saw this in some of the Pentecostal churches I've been to. Some of the churches were, not because they believed in the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, but those who were more legalistic. I, when people talked about holiness, I saw this happen a lot in the church, and I still see it from time to time. I see those who are living holy. Holy, putting down those who are not living holy. It's a self righteousness, and it, it, and 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 I didn't. I don't see Jesus doing that. I don't see the apostle Paul or others doing that. They will deal with sin. Jesus said to the one who was caught in adultery, "Go and sin no more." But he also said to her, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more." He wasn't putting down people. Jesus hung out with the publicans and sinners. I don't believe he was condoning their behavior. I don't think he was supporting their behavior. But he hated the sin and loved the person. They needed Jesus. And actually, when you think about it, everyone Jesus ministered to wasn't born again. When you think about it, everyone Jesus ministered to was not filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? You can't be born again. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet, first of all. You can't be born again without the cross. And so Jesus is ministered before the cross. And I know that's, a, that's not something we're experiencing now. People, the cross did happen. So, uh, but at, at that point in time, Jesus was 
but I'm also trying to, I'm thinking of the, the parable of the merciful, merciful servants in Matthew 18, at the end of Matthew 18. All of us, when we understand God's grace and His mercy towards us who were sinners, we ought to be merciful to one another in whatever sin there might be struggling with. We're called to holiness, not so we can look down at people, but we're called to holiness so that we can minister His grace and His mercy to one another. I'm going to get to that point a little bit more in detail later. But I'm trying to make, I just want to make that point right now, because I'm dealing with sin a lot. I want to make sure I'm throwing this in there, that we're not doing holiness so we can look down on people. We're dealing with holiness so we can bring the grace of God and the mercy of God to other people. That makes sense? Does that make sense with that? Um, and a lot of people probably are even asking, what, Dave, what does this have to do with grace? We're not called to unholiness, you are called to holiness. And the only way you become holy is by His grace. You cannot become holy. Yes, we're called to holiness, but we're not called to holiness to perform the holiness out of our own self, our own self-righteousness, our own religion. We're called to holiness as we embrace His grace, as we embrace His salvation that He's already given to us. Hopefully making sense with some of this. Again, I want to re-emphasize and emphasize this again over and over again. The only thing that makes us holy is Jesus. And anyone that also tells me when we're looking at other people, the only thing that's gonna set them free, the only thing that's gonna make them holy is Jesus. Let me just say this. Another reason why I don't look down on other people. Because the only thing different between me and what they're doing, I'm talking about people who are doing unholy things. We see it all the time. We see it on Facebook. We see it in the news. We see it uh, where we go. The only thing different between me and the wickedness that they're doing is Jesus. If I didn't have Jesus in my life, <clears throat> chances are I would probably be doing the same, if not worse, that they're doing without Jesus in my life. The only thing that makes me different than them is not my goodness and my behavior. The thing that makes me different is Jesus. And without Jesus, I wouldn't be different. I wouldn't control my emotions and my behaviors. Jesus is the thing that makes me different. And when I understand that, and when I see light through that perspective, that I have compassion for people who are doing evil things. I hate what they're doing. I hate the behavior they're doing. I hate how they treat others and maybe even myself. But I love them and my heart is broken for them. Because they need Jesus. They don't need a lecture so much. They need Jesus. Okay? Um, here's a one major point I'm trying to get to this morning. Holiness is Jesus living in and through us. In any given situation or station in our lives. Let me explain that a little bit. But let me say it again. Holiness is Jesus living in me and through me in any given situation or station in life. I'm a husband. 
I'm a pastor. And how I respond determines if God's beauty and holiness is manifesting in my life. Holiness is Jesus living in and through me in any situation as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother in Christ, or station in my life. What do I mean by station? Station is one of my stations is I'm a pastor. One of my stations is I'm a, a husband. Uh, I've had different stations in my life. But Jesus, it, holiness is Jesus living in and through my life. No matter what the situation or no matter what the station or my, my position is in my life. And when Jesus is living in my life, no matter what the circumstance or situation is, it's beautiful. When Jesus is living in my life and, and, and by his holiness and his nature, allow me to be a good husband, allow me to be a good pastor, it's Jesus, it's beautiful. Let me flip that coin. When Jesus is not living in my life, in any given situation, and I respond in the flesh, in any given situation, it's not beautiful. When I'm not responding, when I'm responding, when I respond in the flesh as a husband, and I'm not responding by my nature and who I am in Christ, and I respond in the flesh, it's not beautiful. You can ask my wife. The times when I got in the flesh, it's not beautiful. We can go, we can exchange stories on that. Or as a pastor, or any station in my life, when I operate in the flesh. It's not beautiful. When it's God, it's beautiful. That's holiness. That's the beauty of His holiness flowing in my life. So holiness does not have to do with me. Holiness has to do with Christ in me. I need to know who I am and what I am in Christ. But I, I keep going back to Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I wrote this down last night. We will not understand or operate in true holiness without the revelation of who we are and what we have in Christ. We're going to wrap up here in just a minute. Many times we reduce holiness to a cultural issue or a behavior. Instead, I believe holiness is magnifying the spirit and life of Jesus in an unholy culture. We're going to spend more time on that as we go forward. But I want to say, I want to try to say again what I just said. Many times we reduce holiness to a cultural issue. That's how I heard it growing up. How we dress, how we behave, how we function. And some of these things are cultural issues. Not all of them. Instead of Manifesting the spirit and life of Jesus in a home, unholy culture. When Jesus ministered, and when you think about it, at the time with Rome and different things going on among the Gentiles in his day and age, it was a very unholy culture. We're not talking about so much the Jews, but the Gentiles. I mean, we have Rome, we have Caesar, and 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 all the different things that happened with the Roman culture. It was not holy. It was very unholy. But Jesus ministered and magnified the life of God. 
like Zacchaeus, who said, he came, and Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus. That's how Jesus, Zacchaeus responds with, if I stole from anybody, I would pay four times back. He had people coming to him left and right. Even the, the Peter at the beginning, Jesus, I'm an unholy man. I, I have unholy lips. You know, when, when, when we magnify the life and the life of Jesus in an unholy culture, we will have people coming to us, asking us, what do I need to do to be saved? It will magnify God. We're going to get to this. I'm not, I haven't got to my, even my main point of this message yet. I'm going a lot slower than I thought this was going to go. But we're going to get to the point where, when I get to, to Matthew and also Hebrews, especially, when we are going to watch our life and how we live so that we others will see our lives and magnify Jesus. One, uh, yeah, there's a main scripture I want to get to, and this is not going flowing as smooth as I thought it would go this morning. A lot of this is introductory to where I really want to get to. But we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, and this is where, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, I've heard this quoted many times, that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's the verse I heard through the years. And I'm going to be introducing this verse and when we look at it in context that a lot of people think that if we don't live holy, we're not going to see the Lord. When, when Jesus told Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you're not going to see God. We're going to look at it in context that, and I got this even from Andrew's commentary and he echoes this and, and Wayne Sheriff and other people echo this too. The Bible of Hebrews is not talking about if we don't live holy, we won't see the Lord. We're going to see it in context that that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That if we don't live holy, people won't see the Lord in us. People won't see Jesus in us. And we're going to see that in context. And that's where, and, and not only is he talking, and, we, and most people only quote half the verse, they only quote the part about without holiness, we won't see the Lord. It says, without peace and holiness, no one will see the Lord. When we're fussing and fighting with one another in the church, people will not see the Lord. Jesus said in John 13, 35, this is how people will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. In John 17, Jesus prayed that, that uh, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one, for, for as they're one, people will know, because as we're one, they will know that, that I am the one you sent. How, our greatest, we, we were talking about a little bit briefly this morning, how we need evangelism. Our greatest evangelism, I believe, to the world, it's not our only evangelism by any means, but our greatest evangelism to the world is how we treat one another. And without peace and without holiness, no one will see the Lord. One of my greatest verses I want to get to, and I want to just fast forward real quick to Matthew chapter 5. Excuse me, my notes. But Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're not living holy to impress God. We're, God has already made us holy to the blood of Jesus. We don't need to impress God. What we need to do is people that need to see our lives so they can glorify God. I want, I want people to see Jesus in me. I want see people to see Jesus in my life. Amen? Am I, am I making sense for that? I know I haven't gotten very far, and I don't know if it's, my, my, my point is coming out very strongly this morning. A lot of what I'm talking about this morning is very introductory to where I want to get going to. 
But one of the main points I'm trying to establish this morning is that the source of holiness is not what I do. The source of holiness is Jesus in me. And I want to be establishing everyone's heart that if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, in your spirit you are already, already as holy as Jesus is in your spirit. And what I want me to do is transform my mind of who I am in the spirit and let that begin to flow into my life. As, I, as, I, as I'm plugged into his mind, as I'm plugged into who I am in Christ, his nature will begin to change my life and change people like around us. Um, does that make sense? sense? I'm going to go ahead and stop there. I think we got a little early start this morning, so finishing a little earlier than normal we wrap up at 12.30. I think we got started a little early this morning. Um, somehow, a little ship of shorter or something. I don't know. Lord, we just magnify you. Lord, I hope my heart's being conveyed, but more importantly, I hope your heart's being conveyed. Lord, that you call us to holiness. But not holiness is not something we do. Holiness is who we put on. We're putting on Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you, as we, in the weeks to come, you will help me to teach this with the clarity that, that Lord, you both in my hearts. But more importantly, Lord, I pray as a people that we would be, we would know who we are in Christ, which is whose holiness. And we will see the beauty of your holiness in our lives and flowing through our lives to an unholy world. So the world will see that you are Jesus and that they will see Jesus and his beauty in our lives and through our lives. Lord, we want to be a healthy people. We want to magnify you. We want to bring glory to your name in everything we say and in everything we do. We magnify you and give you glory. In Jesus' name we give you thanks.